happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, boy. It could happen here. That's the name of the podcast. And I'm Robert Evans, the guy hosting the podcast. Who else is with me? Is it is it Garrison? Hello. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever. Garrison Davis? Yep. Not yet a Dr. Garrison Davis? Not yet. Soon soon to be Dr. Garrison Davis. We'll but see. that's a story we'll for see. time. I don't know if you're going to pass the the exam that I know you're going to have to pass in order to, to get through this class. But At, Yeah, uh-huh. sure. <laughs> it's a little teaser for the future. Speaking of the future, this is a podcast about the ways in which the future is going to be real fucked up and ways in which maybe we could try to make it less fucked up. Um, and today we have on a guest, uh, Mr. Calvin Norman who posted a thread on our subreddit with the very simple, very unsettling title, The Woods Are Bad. Um, and Calvin, you want to introduce your, yourself, your credentials, and, and what you were trying to get across in that thread, because I found it very affecting. Yeah, thanks, Robert. So uh, my name's, like, like you said, Cal- Calvin Norman. I, uh, I work in forestry. I've worked in forestry for a while now. I used to be uh, an industrial forester in the Great Lakes region, so like Wisconsin, Michigan. Then I worked in the Southeast. I did my master's down there. And uh, now I'm in the Mid-Atlantic. So I've, I've kind of been around the eastern United States. I haven't gotten out west yet. but And uh, I'm a certified forest or candidate certified forest. I got like a year left on that. So been around. I also do wildlife stuff. It's pretty fun. And yeah, your, your thread, what, what I found interesting about, I have a good friend who is in forestry or was in forestry at least and, and got their degree in that. And we were, we were out hunting in the Cascades a little earlier or a little later last year. Um, and there was this wonderful moment. We'd been following a game trail up like this steep hillside and there was kind of a clearing where we were a clear cut, but there's deep brush all around. And we get to the top of this thing, we look out and we just see, you know, these, these rolling mountains of the Cascades all covered in this, the, the most, the, this lush, beautiful greenery, all these, these pine trees and everything. And my friend says to me, 
it's going to be totally different in 20 years. Um, it's already a different force than the one I grew up with. And, and that, that is, that is kind of the cliff's notes of what, what you're, you're getting into a lot of detail here. And I'm wondering if you could just kind of like, yeah, start on that, explain kind of what's actually happening, uh, in our woods, or at least the woods that, that you're comfortable talking about here. It's a big comment. Yeah, yeah, it is a big continent, and you have a pretty good international base. And I, I can't speak for the Europeans or the Canadians. There's mm-hmm. a whole different ballgame over there, and tropical stuff is just wild. Yeah. Really cool, but wild stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mainly talk about the U.S., mainly eastern United States. So if you look at the eastern United States, this is a forest that has never existed before in the history of the United States. Um, previ- you know, Prior to, like, 1920, our forest was, like, uh, depending on the source you read, between 20 and 50% chestnut uh, with other species mixed in there. And now we have a mainly oak-dominated forest. And we lost all of our chestnut due to chestnut blight. Um, out west, you've you're got a couple of other things going on, but fire suppression has just changed the forest there. Uh, same here on the East Coast and in the Midwest. You, know, you used to see a lot more fires going through. I mean, some of that was lightning strikes, but no doubt a lot of it was you know, intentionally set by the First Nations and people before the people that we think of as the first nations. And, um, you know, that has mainly disappeared except for the Southeast where fire has never really stopped being on the ground, which is really cool. But even their species composition has changed dramatically. Um, a lot of what we're seeing is, you know, changes in human management, but there's also a number of invasive species that have changed things, you know, like chestnut blight, emerald ash borer, Asian longhorn beetle is coming in. You know, those are just the pests, the understory and, you know, Plants is a whole different ballgame. Um, it's, it's, it's all not great. It's all not great. I was uh, talking with some colleagues at an agricultural show right before I posted that, and we were talking about how the woods were bad. And um, we very easily laid out a scenario where we lost the most of our remaining dominant tree species. I, it was not at all hard to do. It took about two minutes. So not great. Uh, and then the West Coast, things aren't great either. And when you're talking about when you're talking about losing these species and stuff like the chestnut blight, where is that coming from? How much of that is sort of as a result of, you know, climate change? Like we're having a lot of tree species have trouble here in the West because of, of how much hotter the summers are and how much drier things have gotten. So how much how much of what you're seeing where you are is because there's been changes to the climate and how much of it is, you know, I guess kind of like globalism, like people bringing in pests and bringing in blights and stuff from other areas and it, it spreads like wildfire. Well, I think that we're just starting to see the beginning of climate change, like driving species, you know, up the mountain, yeah. off the mountain, out west and here, you know, out of certain regions. You know, as things are getting hotter and drier or as, you know, climates are becoming more extreme, you know, here in uh, the mid-Atlantic, we had one of the wettest years on record. I think it was like five or seven, whereas in the Midwest, they had droughts. But before that, we had two years of drought. So, you know. It's, it's more extreme, and that's, that's just starting to take part. But the extinctions and near extinctions have been mainly due to non-native pests. Um, and that's just most of it right there. Um, just because we haven't really seen the start of climate change. Yeah, but yeah. It's impacting diseases. So like out west with the mountain pine beetle, you're seeing more generations of mountain pine beetle come through. I was just doing a presentation for some folks in uh, South Dakota, and something like a third of their total forest was impacted by mountain pine beetle. Jeez. And, and what is that? Like when you actually talk about this, these beetles coming in, that's the kind of thing that uh, even as we've gotten more comfortable talking about sort of, of, of the different kind of collapses spawned by climate change, 
I think that they, we tend to imagine more spectacular things, these giant sweeping fires that burn through huge chunks of states and these, these huge like environmental calamities. What is this like? What happens when one of these beetles hits a forest? One of these beetle species, obviously not like a singular beetle. Like what? What is actually like? How, how quick is the effect, and and what kind of comes after that? Like I, I I know there's sort of a shock wave. It's kind of like a bomb going off. I'm interested in kind of tracing the root of that explosion, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it, it depends species to species. Chestnut plate was really fast, and it just seems to have torn through the chestnut native range. So chestnut went from Florida to to Maine. And out west, like Tennessee kind of area there. Um, and it just, you know, in like something like 15 years, the entire species gone. Emerald ash borer has taken a little bit longer. It got here in the 80s, started kind of going off in the mid-2000s. And it's killed a couple of billion trees. So when that hits a small forest, you know, if it's a, if it's a pretty, you know, beetle that kills pretty fast, like emerald ash borer, it gets into your trees. It starts with one or two. And then within four or five years, it's, it's in most of them in a forest. And then with Emerald Ash Borer, they're dead in five. Um, hemlock woolly adelgid is pretty similar. It'll just show up one day in a stand. And then the hemlocks are dead within five, seven years. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you know what's going on, you know, because Emerald Ash Borer is very clear signs. And other times you don't know what's going on because the, the tree can't be so tall. And all of a sudden the trees are getting thinner and thinner and then they're dead. Or you have pests like um, oak wilt and that, and that trees are dead you know, in two months, and then it, it spreads out like a circle, you know, it kind of exactly when you see like a bacteria, like growth medium with the bacteria spreading out, that's how oak wilt spreads. And it's just like trees are dead, you know, two months and they spread out and out and out. And it's scary sometimes. Is there anything that can be, I mean, it sounds like with, with most of these cases, like with what's happened to kind of like the chestnuts and it's it's too late for a lot of that. Is there anything that can actually be done to stop this? Like, I know we have all these, structures in place to try to stop the spread of invasive species but like once they're in there it kind of seems like usually we're fucked yeah yep that, that oh, would be okay fair. yeah <laughs> cool. once you get past there's like there's, there's what's called the invasive species establishment curve so it's an s curve mm -hmm. and once you get like right like once it starts ticking up it's like oh well we're done here mm -hmm. so uh let's let's start thinking about the future and uh, as you lose more species it's like oh uh, what do we do here or if you're like you know in the case of, case of ash it's like this ash is going in a swamp i have nothing else that's going to grow here so uh, now I just have an open wetland. Like I can't grow any native trees here. We're done. So the biggest thing is prevention. Like don't bring invasive species in or non-native species in. I was uh, talking to a lady a couple of weeks ago, and she uh, has emerald or not. She has hemlock woolly adelgid on her property, and she brought in a biocontrol, or she assumed was a biocontrol from Japan. It's a beetle, and released oh, no. it. Yeah, in this case, it was one that had been tested and failed because it doesn't make it through the winter. But, you know, stuff like that, it's like, just just don't do that. You know, I yeah. appreciate the thought there, but don't. With some of these species, we have, you know, you know, like hemlock woolly adelgid, we have pesticides that work really well and you apply them only to the tree. And so it's like, all right, I treated this tree. This tree's good for seven years. Some of them, like emerald ash borer, you're done. There's just nothing you can do. So, hmm. yeah, it's uh, prevention, prevention. And then there, and you can quarantine, but. Then, you know, then it's like, we're, this county's done, so we're going to just try to make sure that only this county dies. Oh, jeez. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year 
Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. You mentioned a bit earlier, like thinking about the future. What does that actually look like when when we hit a situation as we have with a lot of these species? We're like, all right, well, this shit's we ain't we ain't stopping this. What is what like what do people like you do next? Like, what is the next kind of step for the forests, or is it just sort of a smoke them while you got them kind of thing? Uh, sometimes it's smoke them while you got them. So, like, beach bark disease is going through just roasting beach in the East Coast, and it's going it's going to the Midwest. And so there it's kind of like, well, you know, if it's in there and your beach are dying, take them out. And if they're not, don't. There's, it's 99% fatal, but there's 1% that can make it. So, you know, like maybe we find that 1%. Emerald ash borer is 99% fatal, but I've seen, you know, in the past couple of years, I've seen two that made it. So, like, if we don't cut them all, maybe some will survive. Yeah, um, theoretically, <laughs> we could then, like, clone or breed or whatever the trees that live and 
in a few generations have more of them. Um, yeah. If other it, shit doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. The chestnut project's been going on for the last hundred years and it, it looks like it'll take another 40 more. It's, that's a controversial opinion. Some people say it's faster than 40, but you know, yeah, tell yeah. me about that. years. Oh, the chestnut foundation. Really? It's a really neat thing. So there were some chestnuts that were found resistant in some plant outside the range of chestnut blight. And so the ideas were they slowly started back breeding. So they crossed in Chinese chestnut, which is resistant to the blight, which is native to China and East Asia. And so they, they crossed them in with the remaining chestnut with the hopes of, you know, kind of eventually breeding out the Chinese, but just maintaining the American chestnut and just getting that gene in there. And so they started that back in like the 30s and 40s when they realized what was happening. Well, you know, to, today is 2022 and mm -hmm. we are still without, you know, American chestnut in the forest. There are some backbred versions that are more resistant, but they will still get infected. I've been to a couple of chestnut nurseries where they're doing experiments and it's, it's sad because they'll, they'll get up and then they'll die. They'll get up oh, and they'll gosh. die. And it's like, oh, there's two. Look, there are two over there in the corner that made it. And those get, you know, onto the next one. But there is some work out of uh, New York, SUNY in New York, where they um, altered a chestnut and they put in, um, they, they, just, they just changed the gene. So the, you know, version that the gene that makes ch chestnut blight resistant is in that, and that's getting approved by the EPA, FDA, and USDA. Um, hopefully, that gets approved. If that gets approved, we get real, we get real further along because the resistant trees are not the same as the American chestnut. The resistant trees are more, they're shorter and more shrubby, and they don't fulfill the overstory canopy role that chestnut used to play. Um, that's that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is your like um, butternut, which was you know, driven to functional extinction at the same time. And we're just nowhere on that. Purdue's working on some stuff, but it's nowhere. They're not in the woods. Now, hey, how much of like, because I, I tend to roll my eyes pretty hard when we're, we're talking in particular about climate change and people are like, well, I think that science is going to save our asses from this one. We're going to we're going to develop some like miraculous carbon capture method. And like at the last minute, we'll 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 be able to reverse everything and it'll be fine. I tend to roll my eyes at that, but this, and maybe I'm not, obviously I don't understand this at nearly the level you do. Is this kind of a thing where if there's hope for a lot of these species and a lot of these biomes, it's going to be in stuff like we figure out how to hack these trees to keep them alive. And, and like, is, is that really kind of where we are? I know some very good gen tree geneticists and tree breeders, but I, I don't think that they have the capabilities of, you know, coming up with trees that are resistant to all of the various fungi and yeah. bugs that are out there. And even if they do, it's, you know, you have to get them out into the woods. You have to plant, we have like 740 million acres of forest. You got to get them out into the woods. You have to have the nurseries to get them out. There's, you know, even if you were able to create trees that were resistant to all these pests, it would be impossible. So no, the only, no, well, the good. only answer is, uh, yeah, don't, don't do climate change. And to the, the carbon capture perspective, um, the only machine that's going to capture um, the amount of carbon we need are trees. Yep. I do, I do forest carbon stuff which is a whole different episode. I want to, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm extremely interested in that because obviously like we've, we've been supported by a couple of, of companies who like one of the things they do to try to be nice is they'll, they'll plant trees and stuff, which is not useless, but also a lot of people think that that's what rebuilding a forest is. And like, no forests are part, a huge part of the problem with why the West is so flammable is we chop down all these trees and we grew back just the trees um, to chop them down again. And that turns out to not be resilient at all to anything because trees do not live on their own ever. 
Yeah, that's why it's a forest. It's not just yeah. You. yeah you're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. No, it's yeah. That's that's a yeah. Planting. There's not the infrastructure to plant our way out of climate change. There's not the land. It's just impossible. And so even even if the, even if there were the infrastructure and the land, we don't have the time because you know trees take time to grow. They work on a different time scale than humans do. Even your your shortest lived tree is sixty eighty years. Yeah, and it is one of those things where I mean we we have this is what we taught we kind of started this new season which is forever with which is that like there's no there's nothing we can do that will stop us from continuing to face worse and worse because beca like consequences of climate change because the carbon's already been emitted right you can't just pull it out warming is going even if we were to like make very revolutionary changes tomorrow there's still some degree to which it's going to get worse. Um, but when it comes to like within your field, what like car carbon capture using trees and stuff, can you talk to us about like what that actually looks like as opposed to sort of the we'll plant a tree for every dollar you spend kind of thing? Um, so, yeah, I actually I actually can. It's I do a lot of my work about carbon, yeah. forest carbon stuff. So, yeah, basically, the idea is to make sure you have the, the best way to get carbon sequestration of the forest is to have a healthy functioning forest and that's you know kind of where these pests and climate change are interfering with that and so you know to maintain a healthy functioning forest on the east coast you, you know some of these you need to have fire some of them not some of them are too wet to burn uh and then you know harvesting needs to take place in some of these some of these don't need to be harvested again we're talking you know millions of acres of you know forest here so we're going to be incredibly broad and we got to keep invasives out you need to keep forest pests to a minimum and then make sure that you're managing the forest, you know, as best as it can be managed. And I say manage, this is not something new. Humans have been on the East Coast since, you know, it depends on the artifacts you want to look at and what archaeologists you want to trust, but like 25 to 20,000 years ago. And the last glaciers left the East Coast 18,000 years ago. So we had people here before the glaciers were gone. So these forests have never not had humans' hands on them and never not been touched and managed by humans. Um, and, you know, we got to make sure we're doing the best we can. You know, some of that means that we're managing forests with what's best for the, you know, that means managing forests for what's best with the forest in mind, not what's best, what's best for the end of the quarter, what's best for your, you know, bank account. That's hard to do because forests are getting more and more expensive to manage and to, you know, manage sustainably. Here in the East Coast, we got to do a lot of fencing. We got to keep deer out of forests because their populations are so high. It's just ridiculously high and they're never going to come back down. You know, we have to spray invasive species. We have to pull invasive species. You got to go through and you got to make sure, you know, you're, you're preventing all those kinds of stuff. And so it could take, you know, you can, if you do a, a good shelter wood, you can like make $40,000 out of it. And then you could put all of that money back into growing your next generation of forests. So forestry is really going from a profit making venture in a lot of cases to like you're barely making money or you're, you're like breaking even or losing money. It's, it's no longer... You know, if you really want to do it great, you're not always making money, which is hard for people to get their head around. Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of thing that in a reasonable world, huge amounts of money would be diverted to from other things. Like, I don't know, yeah. F-35s. Um, yeah. I feel like you guys could do a lot with one F-35 worth of cash. I feel um, like that would solve almost all of our problems, yeah. Because the problems that you see in forestry don't cost a lot to fix, but it, it costs a lot for a forest owner, be that, you know, an agency or a person. It costs yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's like all of the issues around climate change kind of all circle around like growth-based economics and a lot of the, like 
no, nothing has a shared root cause, but they all have this similar aspect to them where, yeah, every, every part of them gets worse by the extreme focus on economic growth at all costs. And that suffers, that, that, that makes everything and everyone suffer. So, you know, it would be nice if, since we have a government, it would be nice if they, what do you know, give more funding towards uh, stuff like this type of forest management, which I know they do some, but, you know, a fraction of it compared to what they give to, like, the Pentagon or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, even big, you know, forestry is technically agriculture, but even, like, you know, like corn and like row agriculture gets a lot more. Yeah, money. they have they have, corn has massive subsidies compared to compared mm-hmm. to everything else. Yeah, like the NRCS, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, they do a lot with you know farm agriculture, and you know they it's very difficult for forest owners to get that kind of money into forests. If we could get you know that money, it would be a game changer. But we're not there. Uh, there is some change being made in the administration, but. Yeah, that's like 2022, 2024 stuff. And that doesn't help. doesn't help today. It doesn't slow down pests today. You know, you can't unkill trees. Yeah. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. 
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robey, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I, I guess, is there anything that you're optimistic about within your field right now? Like if you, I, I, I think that would be handy, both in terms of like, is there any sort of, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Because um, uh, I'll admit, like, when I think about not having the forests that's pretty much the most black pilling thing i can imagine like for myself like that's the that's the thing that i have trouble coping with emotionally more than anything else there's lots of horrible things about what's coming but that's the one that like really scares me the most yeah i don't think we're going to lose forests as a thing they're just going to become you know if without things being done they're yeah. going to become less they're going to be fewer yeah. of them and they're going to become much less diverse and functioning yeah. you know for a lot of these, you know, invasive species, be they plants, you know, especially invasive plants, we have a lot of, we know how to control them. I was mm-hmm. just writing a thing about controlling wavy basket grass, wavy leaf basket grass. It's a new invasive species to my area. It's mm-hmm. highly controllable and we know how to do it. It's just, again, a question of people, you know, getting out there and money to do it. You know, if we have the people and the money, we could solve that problem. Oh, also, if we stop, you know, bringing that in, that'd be even better. We, you know, actually took... You know, IPM, sorry, not IPM, but um, quarantine and pest management seriously. And, you know, people like stop throwing, you know, their local like plant out into the park just because like, I don't want to kill it. Like, let's let it be free. Don't do that. Goldfish, don't don't throw them in the lake. <laughs> That's why you have huge goldfish coming out of Lake Florida. Don't don't just cut pets loose and stuff like that. You know, if we can yeah. get a lot of that under control, we'd be in a lot better place. I, again, I don't think the force of disappearing in the future unmanaged, I think they just become fewer, less diverse and less functional. Yeah. And then you lose species, ba- species based on them, like birds, you know, well, wildlife, all that kind of stuff. And also, I mean, one of the things that also they have to become less accessible, both because there'll be less of demand um, as things get more fragile. Like how else do you keep some of these invasive species out, but keeping people out, which is, I think a bad move for a lot of reasons, but I, I don't know. I also don't know, like, to, to is it possible to have a global society where there is not just trade, but the movement of people on a wide scale and not have this kind of shit crossing, right? Like, that's when I think about, as, as someone who's more or less an anarchist, when I think about the only things that a border should exist to do, it's it's keep stuff like that out. But I just, I don't know how possible that is. Like, a lot of this stuff is... I mean, is this the kind of thing that's just spread by carelessness? Because it kind of seems like it can be spread, too, by people who think they're taking care. Yeah, both is the answer. Uh, There's some very good research out there about the, you know, relatedness between global trade and, you know, invasive species. But that also, you look at, like, colonialism and colonial societies. There were these things called uh, introductory societies. Oh, I'm getting the name wrong. But basically, they're clubs. It's like, all right, I would like uh, clubs of people, like, I would like to see... You yes. Know, new place that I live in, like the old place. Like the European starling was introduced in New York because, you know, uh, one guy wanted to see all the birds of Shakespeare in Jesus America. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, I got an even better one for you. 
the uh, moth formerly known as gypsy moth, that's the only time I'm going to say that word, um, is, is now found in America because of this one guy. Uh, I'll put the name in the chat for you so you can say it because I know how much you love saying uh, French names. Oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. This right. guy's one of the most French Truvelot. Here comes a wave of comments about our anti-French racism. Oh no, no, this, be this, this guy, this guy French. deserves it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I no, know. This... It doesn't matter. We yeah. still get. The... <laughs> okay. Well, this which guy nobody does it. about my Italian accent. No, it is. It's just the French. It's just mm-hmm. the French. Uh, once again, yeah. the Italians deserve it as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, please tell that. us about Etienne. Yeah, so, so this guy, uh, he was a, he's a French scientist. He, he left France. He came to the U.S. for a little while. He hung out in Massachusetts. He was also, also an amateur entomologist. Oh, boy. And he was like, oh, you know what I think America needs is I think they need a silk industry. Now, they have a native silk moth that doesn't <laughs> produce good silk and it doesn't breed fast. So he brought in the uh, Lematra. Le I got to do the scientific name because we changed the name on it because the common name is a slur. So we're not doing yeah. that. So Lematria dispara. Uh, so, okay. so he brought this, this moth in from Europe, uh, and he, he started trying to breed these two moths, which are not related at all. It didn't work, <laughs> obviously. And then he just kind of, you know, he went, he went off to be an astronomer, and he just let these moths go in his backyard. And he didn't tell anyone they were there. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> these things escaped, and now they're killing trees, you know, across the eastern United States, and they're in Washington, Oregon. I think they're in oh, B.C. a little bit, too. Great. Yeah, so it, it yeah. I- that's 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 such a good parable, like a, a parallel to the invasive species that is French people. That yeah. really really does yeah. just tie up mm-hmm. all all aspects of that. Yeah, amazing. I uh, it yeah. makes me think a lot. Everything you're saying about kudzu, which which is in the I I've heard some people say they're getting a handle on it. I don't know how to evaluate that at the moment. But when I was last living down there, it was just like devouring the entire southeast. <laughs> yeah, you can handle it again if you want to spray it. Yeah, you could you could get what's called a chew groove. So a bunch of goats, you can get a handle on it. But again, that's money and effort. So mm-hmm. it's just a question. Although of you do get delicious, delicious goat meat. Oh my gosh! The, I tell you what, the people who do goat invasive management, they have it made. What they do yeah. is they rent goats out to people. They get paid for the goats, oh. and they also get their goats fed. So when they slaughter them, they didn't even pay. That, you know, that's a good business model. Right As someone with a couple of goats, that does sound like the dream. Um, oh yeah, yeah. God, they don't work on all the invasive species. I do. There are folks. No, they probably don't eat those beetles, huh? No, no. They also don't like plants with thorns on them either. No. So. And it's very few goats can handle an entire French person either. So really, <laughs> yeah, we can't we can't trust the goats to solve all these problems for us. It is nice that they're helping. <laughs> um, I don't know. So I I try to. Are there things? either in terms of like it acts people can take or probably more more realistically organizations people could support that you think are actually helping try to stop as much of the woods from going bad as fast or, or reverse the the uh, some of the stuff we've been talking about today like how can we, we try to have some some room for people to do something if if there is anything people can do other than check your fucking shoes for beetles when you come back from wherever <laughs> Burn all of your clothing anytime you leave the state, okay? That's that's a good start. That's a really good start. Not even the state. Sometimes it's the county. Mm-hmm. You go one county stop next. when you go on a road trip. You stop your car at the county line and you roll it off of a cliff, fill <laughs> it with tannerite, and just let it burn. But don't don't push that into the woods. We've seen that how that not works. into the that's woods. Real no, bad. no, into the ocean um, where everything's fine. Yeah, that's what they say, what they say about the ocean. Hey, going, I, going great. 
<laughs> I tell I tell people I work between the farm field and the stream. I don't do stream or water stuff because there's chemistry in there, so I don't know what happens over there. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I okay. assume everything is great there. It does but, seem to be going fine. <laughs> um, I think the best thing that you could do as an individual is, is don't cut random stuff loose. Learn the plants of your area. Yeah. Like, learn what's around you and what should be there. And like when you see something that shouldn't be there and you know it's an invasive, remove it where legally possible. Obviously, don't go into like, someone's like, arboretum and like, start pulling plants out. <laughs> no. That'd be real bad. Um, Burn down small farms wherever you find <laughs> them. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, the egg people would not be happy about that. Mm-mm. But yeah, I mean, I, I, oh, I'm not gonna say anything. Um, so I think you know, learn plants. Trees is neat. Um, and then if you, um, you know, think of if you're thinking about like you know, how can you help manage forests? You know, if you lots of people either own forests or normal people who own forests, and you know, encourage them to get a forest management plan or a land management plan and get that. And then also, if you got a lawn. Rip your lawn out again where possible and mm-hmm. use native plants. I do. I do some ant, you know, some lawn change stuff, and it's just frustrating the amount of lawns out there. It's like you know, one of these people, one of these reasons we're losing so many, you know, birds, and we have fewer birds and bird species because like they, they, they can't eat grass. Mm-hmm. These these things eat fruits and insects and seeds, which you don't get in grass. So you know, if you don't own a forest, that's fine. And I'm. I'm a huge advocate of that. I try to be on the show. And people, again, we always get this thing where there are people who will critique when we talk about some of these small scale solutions. It's like, oh, you know, turning your turning your lawn into a a permaculture garden with local species isn't going to like produce enough food to to feed your family. It's like, no, it's not about that. If you could get a couple of thousand people to do it and they convince another couple of, and like so on and so on and so on, then suddenly if you're increasing significantly the amount of carbon sequestered by that lawn and you're also making a better habitat for birds and whatnot, that that scales. That is a thing that scales. If we got a significant number of people with lawns to replace them with something like we were talking about, fucking kill kill that grass that almost certainly isn't fucking native to your area, plant yeah. stuff that is and 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 try to reintegrate at least your lawn back into the local ecology. If you got a million Americans to do a version of that, you, you, that's not an insignificant thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it is something there's, that you can do. In a lot of states, there's programs to support it. The, in my state, there's a program specifically for like changing lawns over. Mm-hmm. And that program is backed up. They are out of money until 2024. They spent it all already. Oh. There's definitely interest there. Um, Again, the give them an is, F-35. Let yeah. them sell it to whoever, whoever. Anyone gets it if they want it. It just goes up on Craigslist. All right. Yeah. Or, put or, it on Craigslist. Ca- cash. <laughs> Yeah, give it to the highest bidder. Yeah. Um, the other thing you could do is go outside, like support your local land management agency. Most of these like forest service and park service, they depend on money spent by users. Mm-hmm. So go spend money at the forest. The other thing people can do. Wash you don't your have fucking to boots first, though. Oh, yeah, definitely that. And don't don't bring shit in. Yeah. Don't don't bring your like weird thing in, like your weird plant because you don't want to kill it. Kill yeah, it. your entirely seed based diet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you don't if you hunt great that supports conservation if you don't want to hunt you can still buy duck stamps and these other things that support wildlife management in the u.s wildlife is is funded by the users so those people who buy guns and ammo and you buy archery equipment and you buy hunting licenses so if you want to support wildlife the best thing you can do is buy a hunting license even if you don't hunt mm. that's it's kind of counterintuitive but it's yeah. the core of the north american model of wildlife management. yeah yeah, that's a really good point. And it is one of the it's also one of those areas when we talk about ways in which 
theoretically there's room to build re inroads between left and right in this country conservation and hunting should be one right and there are hunters oh, yeah. on the right who are actually talking a pretty good like reasonably about conservation like it is an area of shared interest everybody likes wild places so to speak quote unquote wild we just talked about how none of them are actually wild they've all existed with human beings for forever but like yeah we like we like the outdoors we yes enjoy, the outdoors yeah. <laughs> yeah well and what i you know people ask me like so i hunt i have my crossbows right over there mm -hmm. uh, oh, oh sweet get crossbow. a crossbow yeah get mm -hmm. them here hold on a second yeah you don't have to get a gun i have been wanting to get crossbow pilled for a while now oh yeah i wouldn't mind getting crossbow pilled myself yeah, Get a shoulder nice. holster for a crossbow. There we go. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's great. Oh, that's dope. Get a crossbow. Yeah. yeah. No, this is not a super expensive one, but it's pretty much a rifle. Yeah. Um, I mean, ballistically, at the ranges you use them, there's not any meaningful difference, yeah. really. Yeah. And if you're a person who you know doesn't like guns and doesn't trust yourself around them, mm -hmm. uh, they're very safe. Mm -hmm. So yeah, get get you one of those if you want. It's a fun time. Crossbow. Uh, I also right. like it a lot more than my uh, my guns because it doesn't yeah. recoil. But that's enough about that. Well, that's great. Um, is there anything else you wanted to get into, Calvin? Before we kind of roll out today. Uh, you touched on forest carbon stuff. That's a whole man. Yeah, I do a bunch of stuff on that. That's a whole other world. That's, yeah, that's I, I am interested in talking easy. more about that, but perhaps we should do. A, have a, a dedicate an entire thing. I mean, we should definitely dedicate an entire thing to that. It's an incredibly important subject. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot to say about how different um, indigenous groups have been like up, up in the Northwest in particular, we have a lot of um, kind of tribal efforts at, at stuff like not just with the, with the forest, but also with like the coastline and whatnot and rebuilding certain populations along the coast. In the Midwest, um, Menominee does a great job with forest management. I am actually doing a, a webinar thing about one of our forest pests and we're having them come talk about their management well, we invited them. I'm not actually sure if they're going to do it yet. But the practice we use is based on what they use out there. So, yeah, it's it's really cool what various First Nations do. Super mm -hmm. great. Yeah. I just want to plug trees. Yeah. Trees neat. Learn your they're trees. They're fucking dope. My favorite type of tree, probably the redwood. I used to live in Arcata, go running in them every day. Um, I know that's kind of a cliche answer. What's your what's your favorite tree? Oh, uh, this is one behind me here. No one can see my background. Uh, it's mm -hmm. white oak. You can't make Ooh, bourbon yeah. without white oak. So, yeah, yeah, white that oak. is an important also, tree. Forest products are like one of the only things that supports supports forest management. So, and it supports forest. So, you yeah, don't be afraid to use you know sustainably managed wood and wood products. Mm -hmm. Find a it's good a bourbon system, company. It's capitalism, and drink a shitload of bourbon. Always a good call, really. Um. All right. Well, Calvin Norman, any uh, any less pluggable to plug? Uh, plants. Uh, if you yeah. want to learn plants, that's great. If you want to learn about what's going on in your native, you know, your areas around you. There's lots of groups that do that. Your local extension service helps you out with a lot of that. Most of their stuff's free. So plug that. Yeah. Go outside and plug that. I don't do Twitter. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, go outside. Hug a tree. Calvin Norman, thank you again so much for coming on. Um, if you want to see Calvin's original thread, just type in the woods are bad uh, and uh, it could happen here, Reddit, or just go to the it could happen here, Reddit and scroll down a bit. You'll find it. Um, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, until tomorrow, go out into the woods. Go out into the woods. But wash your fucking boots first. 
It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.